0: Hey, Community Heights family. When I talked to Doug, our international worker in West Africa recently, we had a conversation. He shared about what his family's going through. But then I continued the conversation. I asked him about what is it like to follow Jesus in his country and what is discipleship. So, you know, I would title this part of the conversation, Discipleship Here and There. And I hope that you are as challenged by it as I was. Here it is. Do you have just a few more minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to speak on this issue the issue of discipleship the issue of following Jesus in in America and in American Christianity it is easy for people to attend the activities at a building maybe even just a just one worship service and maybe that two times a month and sure. consider themselves a part of that faith community and yeah. hopefully, you know my prayer is always that they're following Jesus off hours. They're following Jesus when they leave the church building yeah. and the other one hundred and sixty plus hours of the week uh, of their life and and when you were when you were in uh on the mission field how did you see uh people in your West African country as they would turn to Christ? how is it different? Was it different there? Mm. Did they understand being a disciple as all pervasive in their life? Mm. Or is it the same there, that the culture kind of impinges on their thoughts about following Jesus? Uh, You know, here it can often seem like, oh, well, we make a decision to believe in Jesus. yeah, And then we go to a church and we do stuff. Versus I'm following Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. And this is my whole life, and meeting with other followers of Jesus is part of it. Right, and and how does how have you seen that play out?
1: Yeah, so for the uh, the MBBs, the Muslim background believers that we're in contact with, and uh, that we've had the privilege of getting to know and disciple and encourage and all of that kind of stuff, it's a very different experience. Um, so, so your faith in our context in West Africa your faith can be very nominal and it can be very cultural because your whatever your religion is by and large is tied to your family of origin and more specifically and broadly also tied to your tribe so your ethnic group right So you might be born into a Christian family, belonging to a Christian tribe, and that's just an intrinsic part of your identity. I mean, they go hand in hand, right? Mm, Okay. And so uh, if you're born into a Muslim family, there are exceptions to this, right? But broadly speaking, being a Muslim and being uh, whatever your ethnic group is and being whatever your family is and belonging to the country that you're from, all of those things are woven together so tightly that you can't separate the threads. You know what I mean? Like they Hmm. just, it's all intrinsically one big package. Okay. And so uh, consequently, any sort of thought around leaving Islam to follow Jesus necessitates a consideration of walking away from family, from village, from tribe, like from neighbors, from, I mean, because it's all one big thing. And it's not that you necessarily want to walk away from any of that stuff, but culturally and familially, it's all one package. You know what I mean? And so to walk away from Islam is is like a slap in the face to your father because he raised you to be a Muslim. It's Mm. a slap in the face to your uncles who invested in you. It's a slap in the face to your imam who went out of his way to intentionally teach you and invest in you and raise you to be a good Muslim man. It's a slap in the face to your ancestors who held on to this faith. I mean, it just culturally, it feels like you are betraying us. You're walking away from us. You think you're smarter than us and more spiritual than us. And not just us, but our ancestors as well. And our neighbors and everyone else within your relational context, right? Hmm. And so... I mean, the the weight of that, how heavy that feels. And you have to understand relationships are the highest commodity, right? And so your, your, any sense of safety net that you have in your life, it doesn't come from a savings account. You don't have a savings account. It doesn't come from your job. Because you have your job because of your relational connections and contacts, Mm, right?
0: Yeah. And so
1: um, to walk away from Islam is like a severance of that relational network, right? So uh, the analogy I use is it would be the equivalent of your savings account is wiped out, your 401k is ripped up, you're fired from your job, your car is repossessed, and you're kicked out of your house. I mean, everything comes out of relationship. And so... Uh, to walk away from Islam is a severance of those relationships. Um, Now, the Lord can step in and redeem and restore and repair those relationships over time, but that can take years. And so the, you know, the church really has to step in and become that new family for these people. All that to say, all of that (laughs) to say that for a, a young Muslim man or woman, to consider Jesus, that's the cost that they're counting. They're very aware of uh, what's going to happen to them if they make that decision. And so it's not a light decision to follow Jesus, right? Like in, in the States, culturally, we have a high value around stepping outside of sort of family expectations and doing something different and thinking independently. Like culturally, we value those things. Uh, in West Africa and other collectivist cultures, it's completely the opposite. You don't dare do that. You know what I mean? And so it's a heavy consideration that it's not something that they take lightly at all. So if somebody makes that choice, if they make that decision, I'm going to give my allegiance to King Jesus, they know full well what they're doing. They're picking up their cross and they're following him. Um, they know the weight of that. They know the cost of that. Um Interestingly, I have never heard uh, where we are, a Muslim background believer, uh, refer to their decision to follow Jesus as a momentary decision that they made in the same way that we do. Like If you ask people here, oftentimes, when did you become a believer, they'll point you to oh, well, I I heard this person talk or I had this conversation and then I prayed this prayer and that's when I gave my life to Jesus. The Muslim background believers that we interact with say things more like, uh, one day I woke up and it dawned on me, I don't go to the mosque anymore. I've stopped reading my Quran and I can't stop reading the Gospels. And I only pray to Jesus. Like I have no desire to pray to anyone else. And I'm not sure when this happened. I don't know when this shift happened. I'm not sure when the transition happened. But like it dawned on me one day, holy cow, I'm no longer Muslim. I'm actually a Christian. And I don't know, like it's a blurry line. You know what I mean? It's because Interesting. they've been on a discipleship journey, just like the rest of us. They think about it differently. They've been on a discipleship journey for a very long time, right? Like the Holy Spirit's interaction in each person's life doesn't begin at any moment after conception. You know what I mean? Like everyone around us, God is moving and working within people's lives, whether we're aware of it or not. And so uh, what happens for these people is uh, they wake up one day and it dawns on them. God has been teaching me and guiding me and leading me. And now I've come to a completely different faith decision than I had previously made. Um, And so then they have to do something with that, right? That's when you have to say, okay, so what does this mean for me now, right? I don't care about going to the mosque. I don't care about reading my Quran. I'm totally convinced Jesus is Savior and Messiah and King. Holy cow, what does that mean for my life, right? And so that's when um, they start having to make some of those decisions and uh, when the discipleship process can kind of take a turn and start going in a more intentional direction. Um, but they're very aware, you know, in in that moment of, if I continue down this road that I'm on and that I found myself on, um, because a lot of them would say, at least initially, I did not choose this, right? Like who wants to be separated from their family? Who would choose that? You know what I mean? Right. Who's going to choose? I want a life of hardship. Right. And so, um, the Muslim background believers that we know would say, I did not choose this. I realized one day, this is where I'm at. And now I have a decision to make. And so now I have to count the cost. I have to consider, what does it mean if I continue like this? Uh, But at that point, they're so in love with Jesus that it feels like there's not an alternative. You know what I mean? Like as much as I don't want to disappoint my father, as much as I don't want to break my mother's heart, as much as I, enjoy the presence of my family and all the benefits that gives and the, you know, I want to please my uncle and blah, 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 blah. I can't fathom going back to a place of not having Jesus as a part of my life because he fills me with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and judgment, self-control, you know, all of those things. Uh, And my life is markedly different now. And I don't not want him to be the king of my life. So, um, So all that to say how they move forward, you know what I mean? Like pressing into faith community. uh, What does it mean to be uh, amongst other believers? Um, All of that stuff has to get worked out and everyone's story is different. Um, But the, the cost to be counted is just radically, radically different. And it's something that... Um, you know, we don't feel like we can even do justice to articulating because similarly to the conversation we were having earlier, unless you've experienced something, your ability to really empathize and sympathize is just really limited. Right. And uh, it's a cost that I, I can't begin to relate to. You know what I mean? Like what Jesus has asked from me to follow him is just so different than what he's asked to be. To give up to follow him, or any uh, number of other Muslim background believers that we've befriended and um, gotten to know. So,
0: but but don't you think though somehow there'd be value in us considering that maybe it's not so different? Like I know what you're saying culturally, it's different because we're 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 located in a different culture that doesn't give us the same yeah. um, uh, consequences for following Jesus. But we also we also cannot uh, we cannot appreciate we cannot appreciate what we have in Christ or appreciate how much He actually call is calling us to follow sure, Him. Sure, you know we think oh it's just it's not that much, but but no He is. But we just need the eyes to see where we're not following Jesus. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, that's absolutely true. There's there's a reality that um, if, yeah, I mean, so a, a great self-reflective question is if I stopped following Jesus, how different would my life be tomorrow? And if the answer is it really wouldn't be that different, that might be an indicator that we haven't fully given allegiance over to Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, Our exactly. life should be very, very different because we follow him. And so that's absolutely true. Um, if the cost of discipleship of following Jesus has not felt weighty, then we maybe haven't fully appreciated the implications of, uh, of what it means to hate father and mother and to follow him. You know what I mean? Um, there's probably a cost we haven't fully weighed and, um, and paid. I,
0: I was thinking, even as you said, how some of these believers, one day they just woke up and realized, wow, you know, I, I am I believe Jesus. My whole, my whole life is wrapped around Jesus. I can't imagine going back. Yeah. And I thought, how about for us? Sure. Have we ever experienced that? Have we ever woken up and said, "Hey, I can't imagine Jesus not being in my life." Yeah. And if you haven't, I just I hope you're challenged by this. I hope that you hear this and you say, "Hmm." You know, and your follow-up question to even to that, you know, if I stopped following Jesus, how would my life be different?
1: Yeah,
0: That's a fantastic question because it should be, you're right, it should be very, very different. And, you know, B or those like him suddenly wake up one day and they realize that their lifestyle, their works, their deeds, their thoughts and their actions and their yeah. words Reflect their allegiance to Jesus. Yeah. Therefore, they realize they believe in Him. Mm-hmm. And you know, in America, sometimes we say, "Oh, I believe, I believe," but then we think in our lifestyle and our words and deeds and actions and thoughts. And hmm, I'm trying to I'm trying to bring them in line to what Jesus would want. And so we have to. I think we have to redefine what faith is. Sure. And, and James goes after it, right? It's right. like, you know, if you say you've got faith, but it doesn't impact your lifestyle, yeah. it doesn't have any works, then that's not really faith. That's not right. what I call true saving faith. Right. It's right. just some little magical talismanic prayer right. sure. that you that you rubbed on the tummy and prayed yeah. and expected, you know, all of a sudden your life was different. Right. Um, so, so discipleship, discipleship, being a disciple, being a yeah. follower of Jesus, it means something. Right. It means something. And it has very little to do with walking into a worship service. Right. That's, that's a piece of it, yeah. but, it's, but it's so, so much more. Right. It's aligning our, our thoughts, our priorities, our values, our, our lifestyle, our life practices right. with the heart of Christ. Right. That's so very different,
1: yeah, so. yeah, and it's gonna look different for different communities and for different individuals, you know, and i I don't want anyone uh who might be listening to this to walk away and feel I don't know guilt or shame because they haven't had to pay the cost of a b, you know what I mean, or. Um, they haven't gone through the journey of moving to another country or something like that. Um, I mean, if you feel conviction, that's great. Feel conviction. But guilt and shame <laughs> right. is not helpful. Guilt, no. Guilt and shame doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't produce life. God doesn't operate out of guilt and shame. And so um, guilt and shame is of the enemy and all it does is uh, it, it roots us down in sin and creates patterns and and habits that are unhealthy. So um you know, the the cost of discipleship is different for each one of us. Um, What it means to follow Jesus faithfully is different for each one of us. But the values of the kingdom, like you were saying, those should be equivalently expressed in each of our lives. And it, you know, what Jesus expects out of us, what he wants for us is different. And that's why, you know, we have to ask the question, Jesus, what are you calling me to? Uh, whose journey do you want me to step into, and what's in the way of that? Because your answer to that is going to be different than mine, even though we're following the same, uh, the same King, and we want to say we want to see the same kingdom advance.
0: Yes, and the guilt and shame piece—why? I mean, that's the whole story of the gospel. He takes that away. Yeah, amen. You know, he takes that away, so that in freedom we can live for Him but the guilt and shame is always from the enemy because the cross was the power to overcome all that.
1: So I'll, I'll bring this full circle. Um, So I, you know, I, I shared for Sunday, I shared on uh, that passage in John 21, Jesus and Peter and his post breakfast meal. So the, Mm -hmm. the one story that comes after that, that completely ends out John's gospel is about discipleship. And this is one I've actually shared with Muslim background believers because, um, because of the weight of what they've paid. And anyways, so the the story that follows is, uh, you know, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die in no uncertain terms. So then in verse 20, Peter does what (laughs) so many of us would do, right? Uh He turns and looks at John and he's like, okay, so what about him? What's going to happen to that guy? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, John (laughs) 2.
1: Yeah, right. And Jesus, his response is, well, what does that matter? What do you care what's going to happen to him? If I want him to stay around until my second coming, what is that to you? You follow me. That's Mm. your only job. You don't worry about the guy next to you. You don't worry about (laughs) what is his cost and what is his call and what is Jesus asking him to do? You keep your eyes fixed on me and you follow, right? It's not your business what I'm doing over in his life. You worry about yourself, you know? And so um, we can, I think, be inspired by one another's journeys. Um, But again, like any degree of comparison of guilt and shame, if our eyes are locked on Jesus and we're following him faithfully, and and when we honestly are in self-reflective prayer saying, Jesus, what do you want to show me? If we come away and say, you know what, I'm following Jesus, like anything, any degree of guilt and shame beyond that, we <laughs> can have certainty that is not from the Lord. You know what I mean?
0: Um, yeah, that's good. So, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Hey, Doug, this has been really helpful to our folks. And uh, again, for those of you at Community Heights, man, I really, I really know that this has encouraged you. It's given you a different perspective in some ways. And I just encourage you to run with that and ask God, God, how do you want me to respond to this? And I ask you to pray for uh, Judah Matthew and for uh, the family uh, and for God to be glorified and to show himself so powerfully in Judah's life. Mm -hmm. And that's what what we're going to do. So thank you, Doug.
1: Uh, Thank you.